we we've been in Psalm 23, and this is this is where we are. Um, the Lord is my shepherd. That's actually from the very beginning. Um, your rod and your staff they comfort me. Um, specifically, your rod and your staff they comfort me. Um, if if you didn't get it, uh, Psalm 23 very quickly creates this picture that that we're supposed to pick up on. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd. If the Lord is my shepherd, then what does that make me? Sheep, yes, good. Um, we are the sheep, and uh, there's there's all kinds of implications there, namely about our low intelligence and our inability to lead ourselves, um, and all kinds of other pictures within this passage. And uh, and then we get to this: you ride, and your staff they comfort me, and. Um, if you're a sheep, the rod and the staff uh, aren't immediately maybe in our sheepful minds associated with comfort. Uh, the rod and staff serve a purpose, and that is to beat you um, and to put you back on the path when you wander off. And uh, so, so this, this Sunday, we're going to be talking about discipline. And I just I want to put on the table right now that um, this is very difficult for me because this is, um, this is not a, a culturally acceptable, at least at first appearance, message from the church, Christians from God followers, um, because the picture of discipline is not very acceptable in our culture. Um, and my fear was, as I wrestled with this for a couple of weeks, was that I would, in my own attempt to argue against culture, paint a picture that would give you a caricature of God. Um, and that's not my intent. Because I, I think there is real value in both parts of this section. There is the rod and the staff. And for some reason, they are comfort to David. And so my, um, my intent, my purpose is to lead us through that to look at the rod and the staff, um, but in such a way that you'd be comforted, that you would see a God who leads you, but also comforts you, and that you can trust His leadership. So uh, what I want to do is pray, um, because I, you know, the intent of everything that happens on, on Sundays when we get together is that we would see God clearly and be changed by Him. And I don't want any false impressions of God, whether due to own, your own past wounds or my own missteps, uh, to see God in cl unclearly. Um, so let's just, I want to pray, because um, gratefully I can stand here and say that, that the Holy Spirit is with us, that we believe in a God that is here and in us and with us, and uh, He's the one that delivers all truth. And, and I want to pray that, that our hearts would be able to hear the Spirit of God speaking about who He is and not, not me. For the love of God, not me. Um, so please, please pray with me. Um, Jesus, we invite you into this place as our great shepherd. And God, I... Um, God... I am a sheep and that needs to be led by you. And I pray that your mercy and your grace would be in this place.
that we would love you as the holy God that you are and as the God who loves us. I just pray that you would come and you would overshadow my, my faults, my weaknesses, and that people would come away remembering you and the name of Jesus would be on our lips and that the person of God would be real to us. We pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> Discipline. The rod. I feel very um, well acquainted with the rod due to my childhood, because I earned it. And, um, you know, that, that moment when my, my mom or my dad's eyes would just... I know it's coming. The hand would go back or the rubber spatula thing that just whistles through the air. Um, when that would just reach that right before that moment, what, what was flashing through my mind and through my heart was, man, I'm comforted right now. Man, I just, I feel great about what's happening at this moment. What I, what I would feel is, Jesus, come back right now. Please save me from this. This is going to hurt in he never did, and it always did hurt. Um, and so we, we have this pain, this very real pain associated with discipline in our minds. And, and because of that, we have a hard time tying this pain that we know into to a love that God proclaims to us. Um, but but the, the picture that David clearly presents is the, the, the discipline of God is something to be encouraged and take comfort in. And we're, we're going to look at that. But first, why? Why does God discipline us? And, and why does God discipline His people? See, the, the great Christian truth, the hope of the gospel, is that my relationship with God is not based on my own works. It's in spite of my own works. That I've been brought to the courtroom of God, and, and I've been charged with all these crimes that I really did commit, all of my sin. And there's no escaping. I sinned against God. But because of the faithfulness and the testimony of Jesus, God has looked at me and He said, not guilty. Now, um, the, this thing about this courtroom image that Scripture continually presents is, is this verdict that's been declared over us is not actually true of us in our own works. I did not earn a not guilty plea. I was given it. And still, after this verdict, now I stand before God forever and always comforted by the knowledge that I'm not guilty. I still am doing these things for which I really am guilty. And so there's this kind of disconnect. Let me painted in a pretty clear picture. Anybody remember the O.J. Simpson trial? Remember that? I was like, I don't know, elementary school, and I didn't understand like racism or like anything that was coming out, like the, the past was influencing things. I just remember looking at TV and being just shocked that this guy was not guilty. Like, I just replayed everything in my head. Like, well, he's guilty. Like, I'm pretty sure he's Guilty, and, and I, 
and I didn't understand why people were happy and, and all these things. I mean, I think we can all pretty much acknowledge we know who did it, and it was him. I mean, the glove didn't fit, but we didn't know, understand DNA then but pretty well, but we understand now that there's DNA, your DNA, all over someplace. You've probably been there. I think we can all pretty much acknowledge OJ did it, right? I mean, we know that. That doesn't take into account any excellent defense, incompetent prosecuting attorneys or racist bigots in the police office, police force. We still know, you know, he did it. Um, and, in fact, you know, there's a, a civil trial to that effect later, and we said, yeah, you did it. You owe lots of money. You're not going to jail, but you owe lots of money. But in that court, for now and forever, O.J. Simpson, not guilty. So his actions and the verdict aren't matching. And in our lives as Christians, we very often experience the same thing. God has said we are righteous sons and daughters of God, and you're not guilty. And what do I do over and over again? I display actions that say I'm guilty. And in theology, we have this term, sanctification, for this process of God making a verdict true in our lives. That He's not just declaring us not guilty and saving us from hell, but He's actually making us not guilty. It's a, it's a verdict that applies now, but it's a promise for all of our lives that He's making us not guilty. And so when He disciplines us, He's making us more and more to the image of Jesus. Isn't that great? So discipline happens for a couple reasons. And one is the most obvious. When you do something wrong, you get disciplined. And God still punishes us for our sin. Not the ultimate punishment that we deserve as, as Christians, but He still punishes us for sin. And that, ugh, man, that's, that feels uncomfortable just to say it, doesn't it? I just like, uh, can I really say that? And I just want to read, read um, this passage. This is from Leviticus, Old Testament. Um, this is towards the people of God. This is God's people, His covenant people, and this is what He says. But if you will not listen to me, and you will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes and if your soul abhors my rules so that you will not do all my commandments but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease and fever, and consume the eyes and make the heartache. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I'll set my face against you, and you shall be struck down before your enemies. Comforting, isn't it? It just keeps going for a while, and then it says, again, if you were, I mean, it's just listing all these things that God's going to do. And then it says, if you walk contrary to me and will not listen to me, I will continue striking you sevenfold for your sins. And I will let loose the wild beasts against you, which shall bereave you of your children and destroy your livestock and make you few in number, so that your road shall be deserted. And if by this discipline you are not turned to me, but walk contrary to me, and then it just keeps going, just on and on and on. Rest of chapter 26, it just keeps going. You better listen to me. If you don't, this is what's going to happen. And our tendency is to read the Old Testament and say, I mean, that's, that's not cool. Like, that's, we, somehow in our minds, we, we think that God got saved when Jesus came. Like we think God now looks back at the Old Testament and be like, mm, that was a bit much maybe. That was, 
a little harsh. And uh, the reality is one of the things that makes God God is that He does not change. He doesn't change. If He changed, He would be like a man It would say that God was a little less than good and came better, or He was the best and became a little less than good. God is perfect, the best, all the time, forever, and it doesn't change. God didn't change. This is the same God that we worship. And, and I would just refer you to the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. Believers in God who lied before the Holy Spirit and God killed them. That's in the New Testament. Same Jesus. Same, same God, the whole, the whole deal. God punishes us for sin. Now, for most of us, um, I don't think we need to be worried that God is going to gnaw our eyes out or, or whatever all the punishments of Leviticus are. The punishments take form in different ways. And I just want to say this explicitly. When you experience bad things in your life, it is not at all necessarily because it's a result of sin. And this needs to be very clear. If you experience sickness or heartache or death, your immediate reaction is to run to God and not to assume that it's because of your sin. That's not the invitation of Scripture. But Scripture very clearly does paint this picture of a God who is passionate not only about His holiness, but about ours. And because God believes something about sin that we very rarely do. Sin is terrible. It's awful. We justify our own behaviors because it's what we want to do. But God sees sin for what it is. And it will kill you. It's not coming to be your pet friend. Jesus says, the Scripture says over and over again in a thousand different ways, sin is coming to make you a slave, to lead you to death, You can justify your behavior, but God is seeing your sin and He's saying to you, be holy because this will kill you. How can you choose your sin over and over again? So whether you know God or you don't, whether you're in the people of God or you're out, God hates sin. Hates sin. Can we feel that weight of that word hate? God hates sin. He didn't make it. He didn't want it. He didn't didn't want it to be part of the picture. He didn't want people to be wrecked and ruined by it. He hates sin. He hates what sin does. He hates the lies of sin that leap people far away from Him. He hates sin. And so even though He loves you, He loves His people, very clearly God says, if you sin, I will discipline you. And mercy upon mercies, What I deserve instantly when I sin is to die. This is the blinding beauty of the holiness of God. That's how real sin is and how real the holiness of God is. The most perfect being in the universe. It's not not even on the scale. It's not like we're here and then God's kind of here. He's just something else. And He has every right over my life. And when I sin... I deserve death, but I don't every time I sin. I'm still alive. I have sinned before, I promise you. I'm still alive. And so, in fact, when all, when all these good things that we experience, what we're experiencing is things that we don't deserve. 
We're experiencing mercy and grace by being alive this morning. Do we get that? Like, we wake up and, you know how people say, you know, I wake up and I say, thank God I'm alive. To me, that's like, well, that's cheesy, Christian. You need to find something else to do in the morning. But really, I should wake up in the morning and say, holy crap, I made it another day. I'm not dead. I deserve to be dead over and over and over again. And if we take away this aspect of God, He's just like a, I don't know, a weak parent with spoiled kids. If, if this is a God who doesn't even care about sin, He doesn't care about you. God does care about sin, and He will punish us for sin. But there's, there's more than just punishment to sin. There's discipline. And God will discipline us before we sin. Because we tend to think of discipline as only punishment. That's not all there is to discipline. Um, do we, surely we maybe had one or two people. Did we have any of those psychos that ran up the mountain yesterday? Anybody? Okay, good. I was just praying for. Holy smokes. Give it up for him. I mean, he just ran up the tallest mountain east of the Mississippi. I applaud for him, but he's psycho. That's Who does that, really? In good, sound mind, who does that? To be an athlete of that caliber, you don't just, if you do this, I can't stand you, but you can't just roll out of bed and run up the mountain. Like, nobody can do that. That's, it's too hard. Your body has to be trained to do things it was never intended to do, to beat itself up a mountain and then back down a mountain through snow and 50-mile-an-hour winds. You don't just do that. There's this picture of the athlete in in the New Testament that we've been placed in the role of this arena of life as an athlete. And we have to be disciplined. We have to experience discipline to build our endurance and to make it. And uh, unfortunately, again, this is uncomfortable, but God will give us suffering. God will give us suffering. And we think in reaction that if bad things happen, it is only because I sin. But sometimes God gives us suffering as a blessing so that we might learn to not sin and that we might learn to value what he values. And we learn to value him above all things. Can I show you this? I don't want you to just take my word for it. I'm just going to read two quick passages. So the church is born in Jerusalem, Pentecost, the whole deal. Um, and the message is not very popular. It's contrary to political and religious establishments. And um, people are threatened by it and they tell the apostles, Look, don't, don't be preaching this stuff. And so they go out and they preach more. And they, they get hauled back in here and before this council. And um, finally a man stands up and said, Look, if these people are from God, then they're going to succeed. And there's nothing they can do. If they're, if they're not from God, then they're going to fail. And so they agree to not kill them. And so, um, so they took his advice. This is Acts chapter 5, verse 40. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and changed them, cha- charged them, that's the word, charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. 
just a little beating, just let him go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they are counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. Immediate response, gratitude. That they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor. Can I read Philippians 1? Not all of Philippians 1. Don't be scared. Starting in verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you and see that you are standing firm in one spirit, which with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your, by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. You get the feeling, the sense of honor. You've been granted the privilege of suffering for Christ. Man, that, that is a foreign gospel to us in a lot of ways, is it not? You've been granted the privilege of suffering. And, and now, we don't have, um, in our country, right now, we don't have outside oppressors that bring suffering for us. We don't have, we don't have many people getting thrown in jail for the sake of the gospel. Not in this country, but plenty of other place, places in the world. So, suffering, I do believe, God sends us in other ways. How often do we look at that and count ourselves worthy to suffer for the sake of Christ? I, uh, I listened to, to this guy, Matt Chandler, a preacher um, in Texas. And in November, on Thanksgiving Day, he had a seizure. Just out of the blue. And um, they went to the hospital. It was a good idea. Found a, a tumor like that in his frontal lobe. It's, they give him a couple years, two or three years, five tops. And um, very gifted. I mean, probably my favorite preacher to listen to. And um, I, just hearing about it, was just heartbroken for him. I couldn't believe it. And um, it very quickly, they realized they, they have to do surgery now. They have to cut out a chunk of his frontal lobe. If you don't know, big deal, kind of needs your frontal lobe. Um, it can take away reasoning abilities and all kinds of things. It's important. And um, they realized soon after the surgery that it was an aggressive form of cancer, and they didn't get all of it. And he has to now have radiation injected straight into his brain, take chemo. And um, all, all of this I'm reading just by updates from his church's website and Twitter and stuff like that. Um, as soon as he could, he put up a video to his church. And he, um, he said, you know, a lot of people have, have asked me, what, 
why, why you? And all I can say to them is, why not me? I've lived in the fruits of grace and goodness all my life. Nothing bad has ever happened to me. And God has given me this. And I count myself honored that God would consider me worthy to bear this brain tumor. That I can make much of Jesus Christ in my life in the midst of my sickness. And that through my illness, people might know God. And I just looked at that video and I just cried a little bit, repented a lot. I mean, I, dude, I'm not there. Like, I, if, if me or even worse, my wife was met with an illness like that, I'd be a broken man. But he looks at his own life and says, my suffering can be an avenue for the gospel of Jesus Christ to go out because this is why. Because the name of God cannot be affected by sickness. And, and if I can hope in something that's not changed by my brain cancer, then what does it say about that hope of the gospel to the world? That's why Paul says your suffering, your faithful suffering, is a testimony of their destruction and your salvation. Because they know what they put their hope in won't last like that. But your salvation will. I read a, a quote from John Piper. He, uh, he had prostate cancer. And his first response to his church was, I thank God for my cancer. Because, you know, it's so easy to be so consumed with my own life. And this cancer has really offered me the opportunity to give God the glory for who he is and how he never changes. And these last few days after he'd been diagnosed with prostate cancer have been some of the sweetest times with Jesus I've ever had in my life. Sometimes... God will give us suffering. It's not something to be free, fee, afraid of. It's not something to run away from. It's something to embrace. Not with some sick, masochistic, yes, I'm suffering. Thank God. I love suffering. We look beyond the suffering to the God who leads us through suffering and say, my life is staked to the value of the kingdom of God into the person of Jesus Christ. And if through my own suffering, financial, physical, spiritual, people would know that Jesus Christ is worth the highest hopes and highest things in my life, then it's worth it. And I embrace the suffering. Why? Why is David comforted by this? Why is this rod and the staff comforting to him? See, this is, this is the next step. And see, I, I, I can look at those things and embrace those things, but I'm not comforted by them. Um, Hebrews chapter 12. <laughs> Consider him... Jesus, this is starting from verse 3, consider him, Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood, the implication being that Jesus has, and he never even sinned. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord 
nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us, our fathers, they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This is your comfort. He loves you. When He disciplines you, when He allows you to suffer, when He punishes you for your sins, He's doing it because He loves you. This is David's comfort. That though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, though I'm brought to the brink of all evil and all terrible things, the discipline of God comforts me because I know that I'm his son. This, this is the God that David can take comfort in. And this is the God that David looked forward to and we look back to at the cross. Because he put his son on two pieces of wood and nailed him there to deal with your sin and mine. And he, he staked himself to the rescue of his people. And God disciplines us because now we have been made sons and daughters. And he's bringing you into the best thing that he can offer himself. And that what he's offering to us, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. What did David say about righteousness? Lead me in the path of righteousness for your namesake. We are being brought to the perfect person of Jesus, that we are being brought to the throne room of God, that the Holy Spirit would live in us, his people, and we're being offered something that the world can't take and neither can our sin. And that when we choose less than God, when we sin and we spit in His face and say, you are not as good as my sin. He comforts us and says, I will lead you with my rod and my staff. See, I get comforted at this point because of my sin. I feel like sometimes I'm far from God. Not only am I worthy of abandonment, but sometimes I feel abandoned because of my sin. It's not God's fault. It's not His behavior, it's mine. I feel far from God. 
And I've got to believe that each of us have experienced it. And when you sin, you feel such crushing mixture of conviction and shame that you think you're far from God. And when God disciplines you, you need to hear Him speaking to you where you are and saying, you are not far from me. You're near to me. I do not just pass over your sin because that would be painful and destructive and harmful for you. You have violated me. And what you've earned is death. And those are the seeds of death taking fruit in your own life. And you're picking up for yourself chains that you were never meant to carry. And so I will discipline you and bring you into holiness. In holiness is abundant life. In the person of Jesus, in His righteousness, in the place that God is disciplining us towards is what Jesus was talking about. That you may have life, have it life fully. God is a gracious Father. And for a lot of us, terribly, we don't know what a father looks like. And for a lot of people, our own parenthood towards our kids corrupts our image of what a father truly is. And so for some of us, we read this question in Hebrews, do we not have fathers who have all disciplined us? And some of us say, no, I never had a dad, or no, I never had a dad who cared enough to discipline me. Or had a dad who didn't discipline me, he beat the heck out of me. God is changing your experience. And this is what I want you to hear. I want you to hear that God will discipline you, but I want you to hear why. Because he's your dad, and he loves you. That's hard for us to accept at times. But you have to believe that the life that is full and abundant is not the one that you make for yourself. It's not the one where you follow all your desires and you do whatever you want because ultimately everybody's doing whatever they want, runs into somebody else's doing whatever they want, and we all just end up in this pit of sin that we've dug for ourselves. There is a holy God who cares deeply about sin and wants to rescue you from it. He hates your sin. He hates that your hope is in the things of life that will pass away and are weak, fruitless. And to save you, He will discipline you. To save you, He will rescue you into life everlasting, life based in the holiness of God. He will save you from sin and death. And we, as the people of God, can look back at the cross and say, this is what I have avoided. Because at the cross, Jesus met the fullness of God's wrath on sin. Do you understand that? God, in Isaiah it says, God was pleased to pour out His wrath on Jesus. 
and save us. That my sin was paid for ultimately by God Himself. And at the cross, I see my hope that when suffering comes, I know the cross isn't moving. When my sin afflicts me, I can look back at the cross and say that Jesus saves me. I'm not far from God because in Jesus I've seen that God has come near and come close and held me tight and said, I will make you my own. You hate me and you spit on me, but I'll make you my sons, my daughters. I can look to the cross and see freedom from sin and rescue into the holiness of God. God loves us with the fullness of love. And if that's what I want you to take away from this passage of your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You need to see the rod and the staff, but more than that, you need to see the love of a holy God who wants to make you nothing less than sons and daughters, rightful heirs, people who have been declared holy and are being made holy. God wants to do that for you. And for us who already know Jesus, we need to look at this passage and we need to look at the cross. We need to be brought to repentance. Because even as those who have been rescued from sin, we still choose sin. And if we don't know God, if you're far from God, if you hate God, if you hate Jesus, you need to see the cross and see that sin is real and so is God. And His love is tangible. That God would kill your sin. Because it says in 1 Corinthians, He who knew no sin became my sin. And if you don't know that, you need to talk to God and let that truth break on your heart. Your sin killed. There's no other way to fix your life. Everything else will fail. But Jesus will not fail. He's leading us towards His holiness and the fruitful peace of righteousness. That's for everybody in this room. That's for the world. That's what God has equipped us to say to the world. And in that we can be comforted, like David. So pray with me. Jesus, I pray that you would um, you would come and speak about yourself to our hearts. Holy Spirit, I just I pray that you would um, you would remind us of the ferocious nature of the gospel, as unyielding, wanting all of us, that your love is fierce and possessive. But God, you give us burdens that are light and easy to carry. When suffering comes, we're delighted to preach your name in the midst of our suffering. And when our sin comes, we're comforted that you love us. 
and heal us. God, I pray that your, um, your character would be more and more known to us, that we would be made more and more in the likeness and image of Jesus Christ, that we would find freedom and life in who you are. God, thank you for, um, for being so patient with me, patient with us, for showing us so much grace. Thank you for, for saying not guilty to us. And thank you for making it true. Amen.